welcome uh, Penny to Unbroken. Um, it is truly an honor for me to have you here. I have um, read some of your work. You're a prolific writer, uh, researcher. There's so much that I have learned from you. And so I really wanted to have you here um, so that my viewers could uh, learn some of the things that I've learned from you. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I, I have to say, I think the title of this program is Perfect Unbroken because that's how I see our civilization. That's the mindset that we have to have as a civilization, that we are unbroken. And, you know, we've had some assaults and, and a little bit of battery over the last few years, and we are unbroken. So. Yes. Yes, yeah. and to me, an unbroken person is someone who has, you know, been affected by all the things in our reality that can hold us down and harm us, but heals and goes forward and tries to do whatever we all can to improve this world. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, you do that uh, through yeah. all the teachings that you do. And so one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about is consciousness. Okay. This is a topic that I think is very important for all of us to understand so that we can grow our consciousness and get to the point where we transition into a better reality. So I was just wondering if you could explain for people what even just start with what is it? What is consciousness? Um, well, that's a big, big subject. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I had to nutshell it, mm -hmm. I would say we have to get into a little bit of physics. And for people that are afraid of science, don't be. Don't be afraid of science. If somebody makes it clear, then it's easy to grasp. So consciousness is a state of a space. Okay, so we live in this gigantic space called the cosmos, uh -huh. and that space is also a gigantic mind. And when you go into that, when you have when you have a full blown kundalini awakening, and you step into that space, mind space, then you experience this tremendous mind-blowing is is probably too light a description mm -hmm. of, of this mind-blowing love and this extraordinary uh, understanding of what is the core of existence and it's the ability to be uh, to say I am that's all that mind does and it's very still that mind space it doesn't move it's quiet, it's absolutely silent, but there's this bliss there. <laughs> and so when that space starts to move, it transitions from pure awareness to consciousness. And that consciousness is what we then work with for our whole life. So it becomes other, it enters other stages. There are many, many stages of existence and states of consciousness, I don't even say states of consciousness, states of being in which consciousness transitions as it moves up to higher and higher states of being. But the base is consciousness, um, and that's where everything is created from, right there. 
So, so, you, so one more thing. Let me let me interrupt and say one more thing. So when you ask what is consciousness, it's actually the frequencies mm -hmm. that space devolves into once it starts to move. That's it in a nutshell. Okay, and the frequency. Um, whether it's a big frequency, you know, big amplitude, um, that kind of thing, uh, or whether it's little, tiny, high frequency, uh, that determines what your perception is going to be. It also determines the characteristics of the particles that those waves produce. So, um, so that's, that's consciousness. It's not a woo-woo kind of thing, even though a lot of people present it that way. So. so it's actually very scientific. It is. It's, it's measurable and studyable. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And when you measure it and you study it and you begin to see that, oh, these, this frequency always produces this kind of perception and this attitude, you begin to realize how powerful the ability to shift your consciousness becomes. So, because it changes everything about your existence. Yeah. So when you say frequency, it makes me think of, you know, people talk about being in low frequency and higher frequency. Yeah. And, you know, I can feel, for example, if I'm angry, right? Oh, it yeah. feels a very specific way. And what I've noticed if, is if I'm in that state, it seems to me that I pull that state from others towards me as well. So it, it, it seems to be its own little uh, reality bubble. Whereas if I can take myself out of that anger and the way I do, the, the easiest way for me is to think of something I'm grateful for. And then if I'm in that frequency of gratitude, it seems like things go really well for me, yeah. right? So yeah. if you could explain what, what, what is that? Um, there's a law at, um, uh, it's a dimensional law if you're in any given dimension and you have a certain frequency state, the law is that likes attract. Uh -huh. In the third dimension, opposites attract and that's, uh, there's a lot of evidence of that, etc. But when you start moving around to other dimensions and even from this dimension, you stay here, but you operate at a higher frequency set. It's kind of, it's kind of like moving up the piano an octave or two. Uh -huh. um, then you begin to attract uh, to yourself whatever it is you are experiencing. Hmm. So... so could I ask you a little bit about the different dimensional uh, realities or frequencies, if you could explain that? So, for example, the only thing out there that people are uh, talking about is that New Age uh, version, which to I me know. is a program, right? It's a program to keep us stuck. So, that, so yeah. I know that they describe it that you suddenly magically go into some 5D, but that's not the way I understand it. I think it's an internal... Uh, thing is that right? Um, yes, it is. No, there's no magical 5D. So <laughs> you're quite right. <laughs> um, uh, when you go into another set of frequencies, whether you move up, down, or over, um, mm -hmm. what you have is a different set of perceptions, and different feelings, and different capacities, and you will also have different DNA. 
So um, there are lots and lots of changes that occur. A dimension is simply a range of frequencies within which a reality system can unfold. It has to be wide enough to accommodate whatever the people or beings or plants, because everything is conscious and everything creates. Um, it is the nature of consciousness to create a reality. And so when you have a wide enough range of frequencies, you have quite an interesting uh, reality system. And that is what people refer to when they talk about a dimension. When you go into a different range of frequencies, then you have different, uh, entirely different experience. And a perfectly good example of that, people say, oh, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, oh, yes, you do. Because every night when you go to sleep, you leave the body. Consciousness does not shut off. It never is off. And so you end up going to create or join other ranges of frequency that will keep you interested and entertained and um, consciousness loves drama. It loves um, all manner of excitement and movement and motion. That is the base nature of consciousness is movement, motion. And so um, you go in, you have a, what you call a dream. It's really not a dream at all. It's another experience that you will have in another frequency set or range of frequencies and they all each one has their own set of rules their own physics um, and we are quite familiar with those so when i'm teaching classes i tell people right off the bat if there's one thing you want to do to expand your consciousness it is learn to remember your dreams mm -hmm. And that expands your consciousness right there. Because once you begin to look at those dreams, then you begin to say, hmm, what was that about? What? And then you have to understand the language of energy. And once you understand the language of energy, then you can really go anywhere. <laughs> anywhere in any of the systems, um, especially the humanoid systems, and really understand kind of um, how they're using energy to create their system. So it's a different way of, of um, looking at the reality that we're in. Most people just, you know, get up in the morning and go through their day and go to bed at night and sleep and get up the next day, etc. But when you're involved in research into consciousness, then you get a whole different point of view and an understanding of the nature of consciousness and the nature of reality. And it's very, very interesting. So you're saying essentially that dreams are just another version of reality that we travel in or we uh, interact in. Is That's that right. Okay. That's right. And when you're in those states, those places, and you recall this one, it's like this one is a dream. So I've um, spent some time uh, living with a uh, tribe and studying with some shamans in the Peruvian Amazon. And they would tell me that this is a dream. This is. is a dream. Yes. Yeah, very good. It is in every sense of the word. We create it as we go mm -hmm. along. It's a little slower uh, manifesting, but it's we're making it. We're making it 
in terms of what we envision, in terms of how we respond, um, in, in terms of the reactions that we draw from others. Uh, all of that goes into um, unfolding that timeline as it moves forward. So, you know, that seems like a very important statement that you made that we, that via our consciousness, we create reality. Because if that is so, then collectively here on this planet, we are responsible for the reality that exists, right? That we are co-creating this. I mean, we've been influenced. So I understand that our, our minds have been controlled and influenced to create a reality that some people want us to inhabit. But nevertheless, we're creating it though, right? Um, yes, yes, and I would add, <coughs> excuse me, we're, you and I and, you know, the cat and the tree and the, the cows and the geese and etc. <coughs> excuse me, everybody is creating. It's, you know, people take that sentence, you're creating your reality, and then they feel bad if they had a bad experience. And mm -hmm. they say, no, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want that cancer, or I didn't want that, that car accident, or I had no desire to, you know, make that thing happen that killed my child or whatever. But you're not the only one creating. Okay. And so what really has to be taken into account is situational awareness. What have you gotten yourself into? Where are you at? And the courage to walk away, to hide oneself. And when you don't have the means to do that, you're stuck until you can walk away or figure out a mechanism for, um, for countering whatever is happening, the grief, for instance, or the fear of the cancer or whatever it is. So um, it's a piece of work to be in a three-dimensional system. And one, one of the things I have to say um, about this particular system that we're in right now is that there's quite a few people here from other places mm -hmm. that are just anchoring and kind of, uh, what would I call it? Like demonstrating how to walk forward in spite of an incredible load of crap that happened or, you know, an ungodly amount of setbacks and problems and challenges and uh, injustices and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they just move forward um, and, they, and they show others, this is how you do it. Um, and when you do that, when you can do that, you develop this extraordinary, what I call like first base of power in consciousness, because consciousness is the bottom line. Yeah. It is the tool, it is the reality, it is the system itself that we're in. How do you navigate that? Yeah. And when you have had tremendous troubles, um, you have this really firm base uh, that says, no, don't do that, do this. Yeah. And you get to this place where you say, because I said so. You have this immovable will and you hold that, win, lose, or draw. Yeah. yeah. I'm familiar with what you're speaking about because that was my life. And I actually remember um, choosing to come here 
And so I don't remember where I came from, but I remember being in a meeting and scouting here and seeing a timeline of, you know, destruction and then raising my hand and volunteering, which uh, admittedly at times I have regretted, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Can't but, <imagine> why. <laughs> but I came in and, you know, I, for whatever reasons, I incarnated in a situation in a family, uh, uh, that, you know, did was involved in these in the cabal and in these kinds of dark practices. And so uh, really starting at birth, you know, I was tortured, um, the attachment bond with my mother was broken. Mm. And, you know, I've been taken in, um, my uncle ran this uh, underground facility, which did experiments and torture and yeah. all kinds of things and i was trafficked it was connected under, with underground tunnels to the bottom part of the vatican where i was also trafficked out of and so i remember being very very small and looking around and feeling like oh my god it is so dark here it is so violent like it seemed it was a shock to my system yeah and at that small at those small ages i could understand and communicate with animals i would hear the trees talking to each other i could see flowers breathing yeah. that was my you know my normal reality and then it was juxtaposed against you know the, this kind of harshness and so it's interesting because um so sometimes i would be put in cages or boxes for a length of time well yeah. when i was in there i wasn't there i was somewhere else that was beautiful I was, I, there would be a waterfall. I was particularly fond of dolphins, elephants, and lions. I would have animals there. And um, often I would be talking with Jesus. I mean, I was raised Catholic, so I consider, you know, it doesn't really matter the name, but it was an, an energetic being. And that's how I got through a lot of that, is that when I was put through these things, I was somewhere else. I don't exactly know how to explain that myself, but maybe you can. Yeah, that's common. I, in fact, that's how I first experienced, uh, maybe not the first time, but really very aware of, I'm, I'm not staying here for this. <laughs> so, um, you know, and just getting to this point where um, now I work with a lot of people, and I have for 40 years worked with people. And I remember um, way back when, oh gosh, I'm might might have been the mid 90s 1990s um somebody coming into an appointment and saying i had uh, all this satanist kind of stuff happening and she's rattling off all these things and i'm like what because <laughs> um, i had this ideal childhood and could not imagine that um, i did not have such a great marriage my first marriage was not so hot um and so it was it was this shock of are you making this up well you know then there were another couple women who came in two sisters and they had similar stories first one came in and then when i listened to her she said you need to talk to my sister same kind of thing um awful stuff happening rapes uh childhood torture things like that and so at that point I thought, okay, and they, all three of them said, I learned how to go out of body so I wouldn't be present for what was happening. 
And that happened, that ended up being um, like a familiar refrain. I ended up working with six or seven different people who had all had that same kind of experience. Plus I know one or two others that have talked about that a little bit, but they haven't been my clients um, at all. Same thing. They learn how to project consciousness where they needed it to be in order to survive and just not be present for whatever was happening. And that is um, the basis, kind of the basis of what we call temporary insanity. Um, when, the, when the pain centers in the brain get stimulated, um, first, first thing that happens is like, ooh, where is that coming from? And you try to avoid a little bit. If the stimulation continues, it becomes irritation and then it becomes uh, frustration and then anger and then fear and then rage and then temporary insanity, which is I might have to hurt somebody and I don't want to know that I am hurting anyone. And so we split um, right there. And that becomes a useful tool. It's interesting you mentioned talking with elephants because the elephant is one of the symbols of I will retain my ability to put myself back together again. So that's, um, that's a very important skill. If you split yourself and you can't come back together, then you have multiple personality disorder. Right. If you only have one version of yourself and you try to use that for everything, then you have singular personality disorder and neither one of them works very well. Mm -hmm. So we all have a variety of selves and you know we act one way with our spouse and another with our child and another with our boss or our teacher or our friend or whatever um, and all of those different selves uh, each one very very fluid very flexible and remembers all the others yes so yeah yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, um, in interviewing people that have been through satanic ritual abuse, like I have, uh, several of them have split and they do have multiple personalities. Yeah. I do not, but I really resonate with what you're saying because I have, I have different parts of me. And right. so I've gotten to know them all. I've healed them. And so when I'm in one, I, I'm conscious of it and I talk to that part of me and bring it to a place, you know, where things will go forward in, in, a, in a positive way. So that makes perfect sense okay. to me. And that's how I actually work with people. I, I tell people we're not an I, we're more of a we. That's right. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. And when you get into the very high states of consciousness, that awareness of that we-ness um, and that ability to flex and be fluid and get beyond the box that most people live in, that becomes uh, a natural state or a natural way. Uh, and people in high states of consciousness often talk of, uh, they, they very seldom, very seldom say I. They often, almost always say we. We think this, we think that, we will do this, we would not recommend that, and da, da, da. So... So yeah. uh, something else that I'm curious about that I would do as a child is, you know, I might, I would wake up in the morning and, and be a little bit disappointed that I was here still. <laughs> but um, sometimes, you know, depending on what was happening, like, I would watch water, 
running. And I would focus on it so intently that in a moment I was the water. Is that yeah. possible? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually, that is how, how we know, quote, K-N-O-W. Um, and so when we meet somebody new, for instance, um, the first thing that we do is jump out of the body, become that person for just a split second, mm -hmm. and then come back to the self, bringing the knowledge of that individual back with us. And now we know them a little bit. And mm -hmm. the more we talk with them, work with them, hang around them, the more we know and understand the deeper stuff that we didn't pick up the first time. Yes. And that happens with houses, with cars, with um, trees, with water. Water is a big thing. Um, with every object in your house, there's this identification with it in order to know it. And yet we don't acknowledge that. And, and so we have a uh, sort of an unawakened civilization or group of people forming a civilization that's kind of walking in their sleep a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, and, uh, we need to wake up. <laughs> yes, that was about, you took the words right out of my mouth. We need to yeah. wake up. Um, so, yeah, right. so how do we wake up, in your opinion? Um, it would be nice if we had an educational system that was devoted to waking us up. It would be fabulous if we had parents who really were interested in parenting and devoted to that and, and knew how to create an exceptional, extraordinary human being. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we don't have either one of those. And then um, the result is we have in, on, in this particular dimension, we, um, can we talk about sex for a moment? Absolutely. We have, yeah, we have this runaway um, sexual habit, or these runaway sexual habits, um, in which that's just about the only freedom that we really have to do at will. And, and we use it. And the result is we have children all over the place, but nobody's taking care of the children. And that, I think, is a crime. It's criminal. If you're going to have a child, if you're in another system of high consciousness beings, highly evolved beings, you may not have a child just because you want one. You have to go through all kinds, years of training and development. And maybe then you can have a part-time child, um, but you're not allowed to raise any kind of individual who will be dysfunctional or defective in any way. And that's what we have here is a whole lot of people that are really unhappy. And that is considered a dysfunction. It's a triggering of the wrong side of the, of the pain pleasure centers in the hypothalamus. And that is tragic. We end up then with all kinds of misery and sorrow and injustices and what have you. Um, education could be designed uh, to bring out the magic and the potential in every single human being. They would be fully developed, intelligent, capable, self-sufficient beings by the time they were 10 or 12 we baby our children until they're 20 or 30 or 40, you know, et cetera. 
Um, there's just a whole lot of mistakes that we're making in terms of the way that we reproduce ourselves. And that's too bad. It's really too bad. And then we cry when our child gets hurt or, you know, doesn't talk to us anymore because they're mad from something we did when they were six or whatever. Um, and there, it's just, it's a system that needs a complete overhaul. So, and then on top of that, we have bad food that that really contributes to the lowest consciousness. Yes. Um, we have a system of injustice out there in terms of finance and um, governance and all kinds of ignorance around things like racial um, qualities or all of those. It's just it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, it's it, I call it being raised in a cult you know yeah it's set up intentionally to keep us from whatever that natural developmental process would be and right. and and you're right you, you know you go through it there's this feeling that I, I have a daughter so there's this feeling that I notice parents have as their child, you know, when they're very small, they're, they're so pure and innocent and beautiful. And in my opinion, the way we really organically are. And then, you know, parents, every parent has said this, like they, they have this sorrow that their child will grow to a certain age and then have to deal with the quote, real world, right? And it's that reality that then it takes something away. And I've seen that too. Now, with my daughter, I was actually 38 years old when I got pregnant. I was using birth control, <laughs> and somehow I, I became impregnated against all odds. And But I had dreamt about it prior that I was going to have a child, but I didn't get the dream. I thought it was a metaphor for my inner child or something. <laughs> then, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, there I am, pregnant, and yep. I dreamt she came to me in, in, in a dream, told me what to name her. So I did. Yeah. And then I was just, you know, one of my biggest instincts was to, I quit working to raise her because I, because of my experiences, I had to be the one. I wasn't going to leave her with anybody else. Oh, <laughs> and very good. <laughs> I'm, I'm very pleased that I chose to do that. You know, she's 18 yeah. now. And um, when she was about two, we were living in San Francisco in an upper flat and she said, we were home and she said, mama, I want to go home. And I said, oh, um, where is that? And she took me to the window and she pointed up and she said, we came from there, mama, right? So I was always very aware not to sort of crush any of that, you know? Yes. And then when she was three and we were driving somewhere, she, I almost crashed <laughs> because she said, mama, um, can I come through you again? You know, can I get born from you again? She says, and I said, I misunderstood her. And I said, well, you know, once you come out, you know, you can't go back in. And she said, no, mama, the next time. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh my goodness. You know? <laughs> yeah. And when she was around four and I told her that she couldn't do something, she became very, you know, upset with me and she put her hands on her hips and she said, but mama, why do you get to tell me what to do? I should be the one telling you what to do. She says, I'm older than you. Oh. And I said, oh, I said, well, maybe you are an older soul. And maybe, you know, maybe that's true. But in this body, in this lifetime, I'm older than you. And it's my job 
to raise you and guide you. But that doesn't mean that what you're saying, you know, is, is wrong. And she would accept it if I gave her explanations for things yep. and explained, she would absolutely accept it. And, you know, in all her teenage years, I have had no issue with her. We are, we have a great relationship. I mean, granted, she wants to spend most of her time with her friends, but I'm very grateful that whatever I did, somehow I did it pretty well. Very because, good. Yeah, there's a great love there. Yeah. And uh, as you know, because you have children, yeah. that is the most profound love I have ever felt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's a, it's a very small taste of what we could experience mm -hmm. for the entire reality and everybody out there. Um, but we just can't seem to get ourselves together enough to design and implement systems that would bring those kinds of results. And I think we need a different sort of, uh, I have a whole different, um, uh, I'll call it um, system of childhood or, you know, human development mm -hmm. that I use when I'm working with people. I can tell where, where did they stall out? What stage were they at that didn't get completed? Because completed or not, you continue to move to the next stage, bringing whatever accomplishments you've been able to muster um, as you move through each phase. And that it doesn't stop. Um, even at death, you should, we should be preparing one another to move into the next life. And, and we have these stories about heaven and hell and scare the daylights out of people. And it's <laughs> like, okay, why don't we grow up? That's like the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus kind of story. Right. Um, there are many, many levels of life and we're, we're starting to blend um, some of the dimensions around us that are a little bit less dense. We're starting to blend with them. We're starting to communicate with them a little more clearly. Um, we have technology now that will do that as well. And I think it's really important to uh, expand our ideas and our understanding of what, what are we doing here? And what does this place offer us? And I think one of the big things it offers is a chance to create because consciousness creates mm -hmm. and then be stuck with what we created until we decide to change it. And that's, that's the goal is, okay, make this decision, live with it a little bit, evaluate it. If it doesn't work, make a new decision. Mm -hmm. And somehow we fall down right there. We don't evaluate, and I think part of the reason we don't is um, because we're not allowed to cycle through the natural cycle of consciousness cycles that occur from, you know, morning till evening. We go through a series of cycles, but if you have to stay in beta consciousness all the time, that's outwardly directed. Um, there's no chance for reflection in there. So that's interesting. So there's cycles of consciousness even within a day. Yeah, yeah, we move through three or four cycles um, over the course of the day and or in, in fact, over the course of the night. And they, they're made in such a way, those cycles are very, very, um, they have a lot of common sense behind them. You know, you, the, the beta is the outward focused one. Um, alpha is kind of this dual focus. 
awareness of what's outside and then an awareness of what's going on inside you like I'm hungry or I you know I, I need to go to the bathroom <laughs> or I need to I need a cup of coffee or it's time for me to do such and such and I really don't feel like doing that you know but I guess I'll go do it there's this inner outer awareness um, of what we are experiencing and then what the world is requiring and that's alpha and then down at theta that's internally directed and we should go down into theta for 15-20 minutes out of each cycle just to kind of okay what do I really think about that what do I really feel about that what really makes sense what has to happen here we don't do that and then, you know, you can't spend any time in Delta, which is, um, you know, totally internal. There's no outward perception at all because the body's busy healing. Um, and then we cycle up again, up into high beta. It's when, bah, we're all upset about something. Um, and then you get up into gamma. That's, you're in an altered state, definitely, at that point. But um, we are pretty much, because of the corporate lifestyle, um, we have to stay in beta. If you're in your car, you better be in beta <laughs> so that you don't run into anybody um, or cause any harm, that kind of thing. So we have this lifestyle that demands um, one form of consciousness and that it's exhausting and yeah. people are tired and they wonder why. So... So five minutes in theta is worth a nap. So it's worth an hour and a half nap. So would theta or be uh, the consciousness in meditation, for example? It can be, yes. You can go down into the lower ranges um, or you can go up. Or I actually split and go in both directions. And it's hard to go up. It's hard on the body but you get better information up there and so it's useful if you know how to split and the body goes into uh, lower alpha and consciousness goes up into gamma so uh, and then you have access to the best of both worlds so um yeah there's there's a lot that i think would be helpful for people to understand about consciousness if we want to understand um, the nature of development of the human, how to use consciousness to best uh, effect, and um, and then you know how to understand. Okay, where did I stall out? What what do I need to do here that I could correct or um, you know get the wisdom from that that awful thing that happened to me and bring that wisdom forward, and so that it has no more charge. Um, but I have all the benefits of that wisdom and that experience. Um, and we don't do that either. We just, we get caught up in blame. Yeah. And then we and then we spin and cycle and spin. And it's like, pfft, yeah, blame, blame is a big trap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, when you were talking, I, uh, I thought of a question. And uh, okay. what do you think about the use of plants to alter consciousness. You know, there's things like mushrooms or ayahuasca or these kinds of things. What what about that? Because there's a lot of confusion. Some people say, oh, it's wonderful. Some people say it's dangerous. Just curious what you think. Um, I What I would say is let's back up. Every single thing you put in your mouth affects your consciousness. Every single food or drink 
is either loaded with minerals and vitamins or it's not and what's in it is going to impact you and when there's and you need certain minerals in order to have certain feelings uh -huh. so one of my favorite examples is if you don't have enough magnesium in your system you typically don't want to be touched you don't want to be touched. If you don't have enough iron in your system, you don't want to do anything physical. You'll do mental stuff, um, but you don't want that. Every single mineral has its uh, accompanying perception. If you don't have enough zinc, you won't smell. The sense of smell is gone. So we, you have to understand, or what I try to get people to understand is everything you put in your mouth alters your consciousness and takes your energy now when it comes to plants like marijuana ayahuasca psilocybin uh, i don't know what some of the others are um, but those are gifts from the universe that say here's an opportunity here's an aid or an assistant to get through the door to understand the nature of consciousness a little better um, I've had very few of those experiences, but I would love to have some more. Um, and, and that, um, I think when I talk to people who have had a whole range of stuff, ayahuasca, psilocybin, um, and they talk about this astounding perception in which they see all life as these moving light forms. Um, I'm aware of being able to see that without the drug or without the plant. And so it's clear to me that those are assistants from Mother Nature that are designed to help us evolve and get to higher states, more evolved states of awareness. And uh, the government has made most of them illegal <laughs> and so we can't use them. So here we are mucking around, spinning, <laughs> going in circles. I remember uh, when I was in graduate school studying the, um, the, the drug class schedule that the government, uh, you know, puts out. And interestingly, all those uh, types of plant substances that would open your consciousness are the most dangerous, according to them. But yeah. then, you know, their pharmaceuticals and alcohol, things like that are fine, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, I know that to be the absolute opposite, right? It is true. That is exactly right. And the the uh, side effects of some of those uh, drugs are horrendous. And alcohol, oh my gosh, people uh, substitute that for food and that's disastrous. So yeah, we do have it backwards. It's too bad. Yeah, in my, you know, in my youth, when I, uh, I came to the United States when I was 18, and I went to college, and you know, I got drunk like everybody else and did all the crazy <laughs> stuff and everything. I know. And yeah. I remember, you know, being so drunk various times that I didn't remember anything for segments of time, right. And now when I look back, what I think is that um, perhaps when you're, it's like you're actually not there and maybe some darker entity has come in and is inhabiting you and acting through you. Well, that can happen. There are, I, you know, this is a whole different area. There are uncountable numbers of other forms of being. Yeah. Some of them very dark, some of them very light, some of them don't give a darn about our particular range of frequencies and the forms that are milling around in that. But some are looking for 
a chance to get back in a body and they will take over and there have been instances of a single body being used in two different consciousnesses sharing that body um, until one of them either gives up grows up or changes but that was documented years ago i think in indiana um a young woman died maybe she was 14 or 15 mm -hmm. and all of a sudden across town she appears in the body of a 14 or 15 year old who belonged to another family and insisted that she was going back home to live with her real parents mm -hmm. and they struggled with that for a while and finally said okay let's make a deal you can have the body for six months and then change out for another six months. And they did that for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and that's not something that we read about or hear about. Um, but there, you, there can be a takeover. You can allow somebody to speak through you. Um, although channeling is not really uh, that right. as much as people say it is. Channeling is just a higher version of yourself. At right. a higher frequency set. Yeah. No, I have actually seen this phenomenon in a dark way. Um, I actually believe that my uncle, I, I know that the people that I grew up with, they would actually do satanic rituals and invite an entity yes. to take them over. Yeah. And uh, I've witnessed these uh, rituals. And the, the main thing that I remember is a feeling of in, being incredibly cold. Like it yeah. was brutally cold when that would be occurring. Yeah, that is true. Um, the, if the coldness occurs, then there really is an exchange that's taking place. If that doesn't occur, then the person invoking um, the, uh, what would I call it? The other uh, negative entity to come in and take over is really just setting up an excuse for themselves and saying it wasn't really me. Right. Um, and because we have multiple versions of ourselves, um, a couple of years ago, maybe more than a couple now, it's more like five or ten, um, there was a young guy, I think his name was Matthew Shepard. He was a gay man. He was yeah. um, killed by some guys who dragged him out of a bar dragged him behind a car tied him to a fence post out in the in the prairie or the pasture or somewhere and beat him and they when they came to trial the guy who had uh, kind of taken the lead in that brutality said the whole time this was unfolding i don't know what got into me it was like i was watching from over there and somebody else was doing all of that and and i thought that's the part of yourself that you nurtured as an unloving biased you know bully prejudiced person who had a chance to take over and did yeah. and shove the one the version of the self that had some common sense out of the way yeah. that does happen yeah you know that uh brings me to a question so i've been reading some of your um story i'm not all the way through but i've been reading about your process of, of kind of awakening and the psychic abilities that sort of came in yeah. and um wow it was it's really remarkable uh that 
you were someone, you were an engineer, you were very left brain, you were, you know, you were very much in this reality. And so I wonder if you would describe kind of what that what that was like for you, because I bet that many people will uh, will have that experience, and it took you a while to figure out what was going on. <laughs> as I as I'm reading the your your words, and so I was just wondering if you'd share what that was like and what it what it really is to be psychic. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I never describe myself as psychic, but other people do. Um, so I'll just say that there comes a that built into the human being is this mechanism that is uh, when triggered allows the energy of the entire source system the entire mind space system to flow through you and when that occurs it is a roaring shaking and i do mean literally shaking i thought that we were having an earthquake and it was me um and so th th this event that um, that roars up through the center of you like a freight train. It sounded like a freight train on its way through the middle of me, just roaring sound. Um, and it erases your consciousness that you have had up to that point, and it carries you right into a full-blown experience of the Godhead source, whatever you want to call that stuff that we're made of. Um, and that's that's bliss when you when you're in that you do not know yourself as an individual you do not have a husband or kids you don't know anything about houses or feeding the dog or paying the bills or you, your job or anything um, and so this um, this thing occurs my favorite example is like um, if you were a submarine and you were 200 feet down below the surface and somebody poked a hole in the side of the submarine that energy boom flows through you like a roaring uh, waterfall just blows that sub apart um, that's similar to what happens when kundalini occurs which is a full spontaneous awakening of consciousness to its source which is that godhead so you experience that and when that energy roars through you, it changes, it rewires you. Oh. And it makes you, so there's some effects. It, the first three years were the worst. Um, and then, but it took 17 years before I figured out, okay, I think I'm okay. Oh. <laughs> so, and I learned how to manage the consciousness. Um, but the first, those first three years, when consciousness has awakened in you, every single cell in your system is fully conscious, and and consciousness has no need to sleep. So I did not sleep for three years. Wow. I had full uh, consciousness with no boundaries. It didn't matter who I was looking at or where I was or what I was curious about. I had the answer. I could look at somebody and see all of their past lives and all I could read their minds. Um, I knew just everything. It's absolutely mind boggling to have to try to deal with that. It's so distressing. And then 
um, you know, and I'm trying to figure out what went wrong in this event, this roaring, shaking, it, it results in this series of orgasms that occurs all through the body and then blows your mind apart. You have an orgasm in your head. Um, um, and then you're in that bliss and you just hang there. <laughs> um, and then when you come back, you watch everything, um, you know, reform as matter. And so I had all of these um, experiences this consciousness without boundaries, this um, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience. I could smell things and people on the other side of the earth. All I had to do was focus on them. Um, I could taste things without putting them in my mouth, mm -hmm. things like that. And so that was incredibly intense and really frightening for about the first three, three and a half years. And then it started to slow down a little bit and the um, the roaring, the, the orgasmic blast <laughs> in the brain, that kind of came down to a low roar um, and this buzzing sound. And eventually uh, I came across somebody's description of Kundalini and thought, oh my God, that's what, it, that's what happened to me. That's you know, why? <laughs> and there's not really any reason why. I, there's a couple things I could speculate on. One is that I stepped into a moment where I was 100% totally present mm. without any boundaries, without any barriers, without any do's and don'ts, without any thoughts, without anything. And as soon as that was the, that's what gave that energy the opportunity to move through all of my barriers were down and i was totally present and loved it Lo just absolutely absolutely totally present and that you know that just any time that i really relaxed and enjoyed even if i was just looking at a sunset or something that whole thing would start up again that energy would start trying to move through um it took a long time to be able to you don't ever really control it, but to get used to it or to recognize that that's going to start up again. And it does, you know, start and stop. Even now, after 43 years, it starts and stops on its own. Um, and each time it starts up, there's an expansion of your abilities. Now, I didn't have anybody to teach me. I didn't know. I was just uh, afraid back then. But um, I developed my own set of, of um, observations. I just used the scientific method from, you know, my engineering background, which was, you know, observe uh, what's common to each one of those situations and then see if you can manage that. And that um, ended up being something that was very, very helpful. And I began to learn without all of the... I'll call it the guru type input. Mm -hmm. And that saved me from a whole lot of BS, <laughs> to, to be honest. I don't want to take away from anybody's guru. Um, and I don't really want to be anybody's guru for that right. matter. I want everybody to be their own guru. But the, um, the thing that I began to study uh, was I left Chrysler and I went back to school um, to study the brain and consciousness and got involved in research and 
uh, spent 15 years studying consciousness in terms of plasma physics in a lab over in Ann Arbor and um, began to really uh, connect with the people that I was with before I came here. <laughs> kind of like you were talking about. I remember saying, okay, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so all of that um, began, I began to realize so many things. Uh, I began to put pieces together. I'm still putting pieces together. I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. And so each one of my books has been an attempt to share okay, this is what I've learned so far, <laughs> you know, this is what I've put together at this point in time. Um, and it's a deep, deep understanding now of consciousness and how it works and um, of what, to go back to the question of what does it mean to be psychic, it simply means that you have developed a fluidity with your ability to shift your your own brain to match any set of frequencies you want to match and pick up the information there um, and that's what psychic ability is it's just you matching a set of frequencies and then able to understand what that frequency set is conveying and that's what i call the language of energy uh, sometimes it appears as a form Sometimes it's just pure information that comes to you gratis. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I've had some experiences where I, I've just called them um, a download. And it, right. it's Very really true. true. It only happens when I'm really in the present moment That's right. and really still and not thinking about anything. And then all of a sudden something just, it, it's just I know it. Yeah. I don't know how right. I know it. It's just there, right? Yeah. And, right. um, you know, when we talk about being psychic, there's also this other thing, which is intuition, right? So I, for me, what I have understood intuition to be for myself, it's like a little bit of a, it, I'm a I'm, I feel things primarily. So yeah. I, I would get a feeling about a thing or a person. And if I didn't listen to it, I would pay for it later. But <laughs> so I learned, so it's almost like a little push to it. I don't even have the words. Maybe you can describe intuition better. Yeah, they're the same thing. Psychic ability okay. and intuition are the same thing. It's knowing from within. Intuition is knowing that comes from within. And it, it occurs when two things happen. One is you match up with a set of frequencies for whatever reason. Maybe you're curious. Maybe it's going to impact you. And it is drawn to you because it's going to impact you in the next week or two. And the other thing is you happen to be paying attention. Yeah. A lot of people have so much garbage floating and rolling through that they're not paying attention to the information they're picking up. Yeah, I at some point in my life, I noticed that I thought to myself, I'm not thinking my thoughts. They're just running through me all the time. What is this? And it, it angered me and I thought, no, I want to choose what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult though. Um, uh, yeah. Um, when, you, when you decide you're going to choose what you're thinking, eventually, I mean, you do attend to that at first and you pay close attention, but eventually you stop thinking altogether. And that's when you live, I could say, it's living in a pool of peace. And there's no activity 
accept what you need to know, what you need to understand, and that just comes to you naturally again and again and again. Um, and there's no stress in that, or it's, it reduces the amount of stress that you would normally have to an absolute minimum. Um, when you study telepathy and, and you live in that pool of peace, you understand that you're in this peace, it's quiet, you know, the surface of the pond is absolutely flat and quiet. And then all of a sudden this ripple comes across and, and somebody's name or some event or some picture comes with it. That's telepathy right there. Um, and once you learn to recognize that, then you don't have to have absolute utter silence. You just notice, oh, there's a connection happening between me and whoever, so-and-so. And then in somewhere in the next few days, almost always that person is going to contact you or reach yes. out to you or something like that. So. Yes. I've always sort of thought of it or experienced it as everyone is a billboard and they have yeah. a signature and they have all their history. And, yep. and I don't see it in my mind's eye, but I feel them. And That's so right. I just kind of absorb, I feel like almost like I eat them and I digest them and I know them. Um, I know that sounds kind of weird. But. No, that's not weird at all because the primary uh, state of existence is feeling. All intuition is feeling and seeing or feeling and hearing or sometimes just feeling. And sometimes it's uh, feeling and taste or feeling and smell. Feeling is primary. So for you to say, I, you know, I feel it's like, yeah, I'll bet you do. <laughs> so, cause that is primary. Yeah. And, you know, um, one of the things that uh, I'm thinking of people as they listen to this talk and all, and, you know, a lot of people talk about enlightenment and it's always some kind of monk sitting on the top of a mountain in Tibet, just meditating all, all hours of the day. And there's this perception or this idea that you need a guru and all of this. But um, I, I'm curious to hear your opinion, because mine is that we really need to live in this world that we're in and be enlightened in everything that we do in our normal reality. Is that, right. Does that resonate? That's excellent. Enlightenment, the true definition of enlightenment is when you begin to turn into light. Now, if you've never had that experience, that's going to be like, how the heck would that happen? But I have had that experience and, um, and there are some other things I could say about that. But enlightenment is when you begin turning into light. The way that enlightenment is used out there is that it's an intellectual thing or it's a metaphysical thing, or it's, um, it's a whole bunch of, you know, spiritual stuff. It's really not. The kind of enlightenment we have here is when we begin to understand the nature of reality, when we see what is. That's enlightenment here in a third dimensional reality system. You, you, if you're going to be, I agree with you, 120, 50%, 190%. <laughs> if you're going to be in a three-dimensional system, then be here. Be physical. Learn to love this. Learn to enjoy this. The intensity of a three-dimensional system is phenomenal. It's wonderful. Um, that's what we're here to learn and to experience. 
to say that, ah, I'm out of here, you know, and, um, you can't get to the higher states from here just magically, period. So you're not just going to send out of here people. So I, I'm going to transition out of here. And I'm like, do you understand that the word transition means you're going to die? So when do you plan to do this? You know, do you yeah. have your wheels set up? Do you have your, you know, all of your things here? Well, people order? think they will just sort of ascend, they call it, and they'll just be in this beautiful heavenly place called 5D. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of like 5G. So um, <laughs> I think it's really important for people to understand you have to earn fourth dimensional consciousness and you have to demonstrate that and live that. And then maybe you'll be invited into another, into a fourth dimensional system if you leave here. However, if you leave here, what I've observed is that I get to the place I call the way station, which is where a lot of people go um, after death. And, they, and they're working to figure out, okay, let me study the life I just had so I can figure out why, why didn't I get a little further along in my development. Mm -hmm. And then they line up waiting for a body to come back. And for a long time, I had this sort of an attitude like a lot of people. Well, aren't we going to ascend? But I would go to the way station and I would see all these people talking or hear them and watch them making their plans for their next life and getting ready to come back. And after a while, it was like, okay, something's not matching here. We have this idea that we're going to ascend out of here and all the problems are going to be gone. And then I go to the way station and everybody's lined up waiting to come back. Okay, what is it? Finally, after having a number of conversations with my own people, I was like, oh, okay, you have to earn your consciousness. You have to maintain this state of love. You have to maintain this intent to do no harm with your words, with your technology, with your actions, with your money, with your whatever. Everything has to be geared toward the raising of uh, the experience of love and life for yourself and others. And when you can demonstrate that consistently, then you can move into a fourth dimensional consciousness and I've been or a fourth dimensional system. And I've been really oh, this last year working to study what is the difference between three and four and five dimension uh, dimensional existence. And it's all in the consciousness, all yeah. of it. Yeah. So one uh, last topic I would love to uh, ask you about. Um, I, I watched your Earth series, which was wonderful. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and in one of them, you talked about having had an experience where you basically were in the future Earth or in a new Earth. Yeah. And so that's something I've always felt myself, even as a child. I knew that I was here to, that there was going to be a, some kind of process and we were going to go to a different place. And so I was just wondering if you would talk a little bit about that and maybe leave people with some kind of hope or vision of where we could be. Yeah. Okay. So um, 
Back in the early days of Kundalini when I wasn't sleeping in those first three years, I had this visit a number of times from this group of three beings of light who were fully enlightened. They were bodies of light and they said, come with us. So I went and we went to this planet, this place that was absolutely beautiful. And, and the thing that struck me each time I went was this is just like the earth. <laughs> this is a, this is everything I know already. What, you know, <laughs> how do I get my mind around this? And um, I had four, three or four visits, three visits with them and then one visit I went on my own. Um, and it was a place where there was absolute and utter beauty. There was nobody sick. Nobody was crabby. Nobody was overweight. Nobody was um, anxiously trying to climb the corporate ladder. Everything was telepathic. Everybody was in full communication with everybody um, and with the plants and with the buildings. I remember talking to the bricks um, in wow. this one building. Um, just an astounding place. So 40 years go by. Uh, maybe not quite 40 years, maybe about 35 or 6 or something like that. Um, in 2018 or 2019, I, I got an invitation to help build the new earth. And I was like, okay, I have no idea uh, what that's, how to do that. And then in the process of kind of racking my brain, I remembered those three visits and thought maybe I could get back to that place. And I found it. Um, and so long story short, I began visiting that reality system. And then um, a woman that I had met but didn't know very well um, named Landy. Landy Hurd was her name. Now it's Mellis. And she had written a book called Beyond the Sky because she was working with the ETs. And um, and she, uh, I had met her through Dr. Levengood at the lab in Ann Arbor. And, um, and she happened to mention that she had been approached by some ETs who said to her, would you help us build a new earth? And so we started chatting back and forth. And, there, and so we started working on this deliberate creation of a new reality system. And, um, and so we got to the point where we were told, okay, it's done. Now you just need to bring people here. So we're sitting with that now. I described a few of my visits in the Planet Earth series. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually uh, put the book out after that was done. And so people could read it um, that weren't subscribed on Patreon. And, and so there's this... Um, realization that we're having right now which is okay we ended up creating this reality system and there are a few people there um, and and I we're like okay how do we get the rest of the people there what what's what's the process and I I'm not sure I've got it but I'm beginning to see little hints um, so the, the answers that I've gotten are never mind worrying about how people are going to get there. Just keep teaching people how to expand their consciousness. 
uh, keep bringing them back to the place of love and you know patience and um, be creative and get out of your box and you know all this stuff um, understand consciousness use consciousness uh, we may end up going through um, something that that is really has to do with the cosmos and that um, if that occurs may change our consciousness and we may go as a group everybody who has worked on consciousness may end up uh, going as a group and I don't have any details more than that but um, and I don't want to sound fantastic like oh that's not possible because there are certain things that are possible and there are some things I've seen uh, that are coming in the next decade the next maybe by 2026 27 we're going to be seeing signs of that cosmic event um, if that occurs that's gonna be like a supercharged kundalini event for the whole planet wow. if you have had um, some at least a little bit of exposure to um, come on expand your consciousness learn how to use your breath learn how to use your consciousness as a tool then I think those people are gonna just step right into that new new place um, and we'll see it sounds it still sounds really fantastic and I will say this I have often started out with something that I thought was absolutely impossible fantastic storytelling you know um, not real and then if I just watch what I begin to see are the 3d steps and the 3d events that make that an option so I'm not to that point yet where I'm seeing that but I'm beginning to see okay this is I think this is going to result in a huge number of us being able to go to that new place so and there's a, a lot of consciousness uh, awakening that has to happen between now and then and I think that the cabal is doing a fabulous job of waking us up so yes they are aren't they it's yes, they uh, they're trying to do the opposite but it's uh it's it's like a rubber band it's bouncing back and actually awakening I don't um, I, this this covid program woke up a whole a whole bunch more people for example yeah. you know yeah. so I know it it has and it's going to continue um when people's lives are on the line they're going to pay attention and their lives are on the line now um you know my attitude I said this to my class last weekend or the weekend before you know that's silly Klaus Schwab he thinks he's got it in the bag and I'll have to say no no Schwabby we're gonna swap the deck <laughs> with you so, oh, Schwabby I like that can I can I use that I, I yeah <laughs> yeah and, and he needs to I think somebody needs to put a meme out there hey Schwab we're gonna swab the decks with you so he's uh, going nowhere uh, but you know what you said I, I I think that's really true um as long as people are comfortable even if it's a sort of miserable yes comfort but yes there's no motivation right, right. but when you're in when so on the one hand the cabal has used survival to control us because that's they right. understand psychology and the brain but uh, but paradoxically there's a place where being against the ropes does push you 
to wake up and begin to take action and, and change things. And it's my experience. I mean, what I try and tell people is we're, we naturally are who we are. It's just all this crap, all this baggage, all the trauma, all the, so it's almost like we're encased in this clay and you have to just chip it and break it open and get out of that. And then it's automatic. We'll just be where we should be. Right. That's right. That's right. And, and we are naturally loving cooperative people. So, you know, just be what comes natural. And if we can just uh, practice that a little bit, it actually becomes the way that we are. Yeah. And so we, re we return to our natural state. You don't see that much unless there's a disaster and then everybody pitches in to help. Yep, I saw that about two years ago, I think it was, I live in uh, the southern, very southern tip of Oregon. And uh, you know, when, they, when the cabal started the fires in California and Oregon, well, they burned through here. I saw the flames from my house. I was terrified. The wind blew away from my house, and so I was spared, but a whole section burned down. And I live in a valley surrounded by some mountains. It's called the Rogue Valley. And all of a sudden, after that event, the it, it wasn't the state, it wasn't the local anything, it was the people. The people all got together and they had a, a location where people could go pick up clothing and any anything that they needed. Look, I knew somebody, I, I did a GoFundMe for the guy that is my gardener um, because their, their home, their trailers burned down and they, you know, they didn't have insurance. Well, there was a family in this area that had two houses on their property and they gave this family their house to live in for one year for free oh, so wow. they could get back on their feet. Yep. So that was, I, I experienced that. I thought, oh my God, look at this. We're yep. all stressed. We're all under this heavy cabal fire of everything. And this event happens. That's the beauty and the natural lovingness of the human being. So I have so much hope because I keep right. seeing that despite everything they've thrown at us, that is our natural instinct. It is. It is. And I don't know if they're just too stupid to figure that out or if they're <laughs> that dense or if they don't understand. They're lost and they're, you know. Well, they don't feel, they're not like us. See, I grew up with these people. They're psychopaths. No. They that don't, is, their heart is not online. They don't have that no. same feeling that we have. So they don't understand that. And that's so everything right. they do, they forget that little piece. They, yeah. It makes no sense to them. And that's, I think, one of our, you know, our salvation. I agree. I agree. The thing that they cannot see, they're going to overlook. Yes. And that gives us an edge. And it's love, you know, that they yeah. can't see or understand. And that's what we have so organically and i think that's that's yep. why we're gonna overcome you know yeah. move forward yeah i agree 100 <laughs> percent no so i just want to thank you so much for this conversation that we've had it's been talk about enlightening i think this is going to really help a lot of people um understand yeah. and you know i see you as someone who is living your mission, if I can say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have been, I feel so, the thing I'm most grateful for in my life is that I'm living my mission. Yes. As well. 
You know? I was going to say, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think everyone is here yeah. and has a mission, has something that they came here to contribute to getting us to that new world that you saw. Yeah. I think that's true. Um, I often think back to the uh, hippies, the hippie thing, <laughs> and I and I often think to myself, well, they got started too early, yeah. and then they all got old and pooped out. So it's like, come on, you guys, get up out of your rocking chair. It's you know, it's time for you to do what you actually came here to do. It's about love. It's make love, not war. That kind of thing. So. That's that's so beautifully said. I think we'll just end it right there. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again so much. And uh, I, I hope you might uh, be willing to come back and, and talk a little more. About yeah, yeah. Of things. yeah, I would be more than happy to. There's a lot of of stuff that we didn't even touch on that has to do with consciousness. And that's really wonderful that people could understand how to use it a little better um, and feel like like they're getting kind of sassy with it, you know, <laughs> getting into their power. So. That's awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much. And uh, yeah. until next time then. Okay. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. Mm -hmm.